Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. We're back with a nostalgia overload, a glimpse back at sunnier times through rose-tinted spectacles. If you like the 2000s, or the noughties as they call it, you're in the right place. If you're into football, which you should be, you're skulking around on the What If Football YouTube channel after all, then you're also in the right place. Welcome to Naughty's Nostalgia Podcast. Each week my esteemed pal AJ Alex Rhodes hiding his Brexit umbra today. <laughs> and I, Jake Doyle, in my Manchester United-themed sort of regalia today, hop into our time machine and to 2000 to select a footballing moment of the time to pick the bones of. And today we've got a look back at 14 years ago to the opening day of the 2006-07 Premier League season. But first we've got to talk about a great escape and a great escape that's quite close to your heart. Yeah, so I mean, if people haven't picked up it by now, we are both massive Bradford City fans now, only joking, <laughs> but we're both from West Yorkshire and from Bradford, so I've not always been diehard Bradford City follower, um, but certainly during the Premier League days, everybody was, was following them, and one of the greatest escapes of the noughties just squeaking in at the beginning of the night as Bradford City is in the 99-2000 season. Um, yeah, so Bradford City went up, obviously, in 98-99. They were a good team, I'd say. Added some good players there. Um, Dean Saunders probably being the big name to join them. Dean Windass. Um, yeah, Dean Windass. Weatherall. Yeah, some good players there. Yeah, big, big players, good team. Um, and just about averaged a win every month in that <laughs> season. If you look at the record, that's pretty much what happened. You know, it was a win a month, and then coming up to the end of the season, you had Wimbledon and Bradford. Really, the two teams going into the last day who were still able to survive, and going into the last day, Wimbledon just had to better Bradford's result. Bradford had Liverpool at Valley Parade where Liverpool needed a win to go into the Champions League, so 
you'd say Liverpool are probably going to turn them over. You'd say Wimbledon can at least get a draw at Southampton, which would keep them up then. But I want to be David Weatherall scoring a header, one nil to Bradford City. Acceleration. A great escape is on and Wimbledon are down. So, yeah, great escape. I mean, check it out on Sky. It's definitely a calibre of opponent that they beat. That's probably the biggest thing going for this escape, I think. Definitely. Because I think people will look back and think, oh, I'm guessing Liverpool didn't have out to play for, but we did at the European yeah. Champions League place to play for. So it wasn't that they were just turned up on the last day. No one already had some beds on holiday kind of situation. They were coming to play. Yeah, and obviously Liverpool hadn't played in the Champions League since the European Cup final in 1985. Obviously, yeah. they had a seven-year ban, six, seven-year ban. And then by the time the Premier League came around, they were sort of neither here nor yeah, there. It was mainly like UEFA Cup mid-table. Um, the Spice Boys came along, didn't they? And then you've got like Fowler, McManaman, and Owen. I mean, Owen is yeah, yeah. Uh, he's approaching his peak at this point, 2000, where he'd win the Ballon d'Or the next year, wouldn't he? But I mean, Leeds probably will get onto the relegation bit in a in a minute but like Leeds were probably the better team at that point younger fresher hungrier probably Boyer Woodgate Ferdinand etc etc yeah they were only one point apart and as you say Bradford only averaged a win every month but in a nine month season I think that's probably all you really need nine ten wins they used to say 40 points was a deficit that's that's not been the case for a long time it wasn't the case here like 33 points have both had I mean this season this season the Three teams that were fighting it out for the the one survival place had 35, 34 and 34, I think. So it's that similar, yeah. similar yeah, thing. Yeah. I think it's just a hangover from the 42-game season becoming 38 and there's still been that belief where obviously West Ham would go down with 42 points in a few years' time. But anyway, Leeds, they drew, two, they drew nil-nil with West Ham, which left it even more likely that Liverpool were going to need a win at Valley Parade. And in terms of your ranking of great escapes, you said it's one of the best. I've got a few here that could rival that, really. West Brom, as we all know, 2005. I mean, 20th on the final day. They only had to beat Portsmouth, who had nothing to play for and were arguably on the beach already. But they did need the rest of the teams to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what constitutes a great escape? Is it the on the final day, the pressure of beating the team? Or is it the yeah, amount of points? The amount of points you've got to like recover over the course of a season. I think I think it's it is both because to put yourself in that position, you've often got to win the games going into the final day. So I mean, Bradford didn't win. Well, Bradford did. Sorry, win the last three out of four games in the league that season. Yeah, got a win at Sunderland in April. Then Wimbledon beat three 0 so, I mean, that's the six-pointer there, which which is usually part of it. And then lost to Leicester 3-0 in the penultimate game and then had to beat Liverpool. Well, had to beat Wimbledon, had to better Wimbledon result, yeah. which in this case might be the Liverpool. Um, but, yeah, for me, if you look back, there's that Wimbledon 3-0. Where, yeah, that's probably the decider, really. That's kind of your stand-up-and-be-counted game and give yourself a chance going into it. So, I think you've got to have that bit of a pick-up of form and then you, it's got to be drama on the last day with more than usually drama comes from no matter what's happening in your game, it's always another game affecting it as well. And that goes for like 
obviously when the titles won on the last yeah. day as well, which doesn't happen enough really. Because um, it wasn't in Bradford's hands. It wasn't in Bradford's hands really. There was a five point goal. The five yeah. goal swing needed really. And Southampton were never going to do that, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this was the two thousand was the era before teams being able to survive being bottom on Christmas Day, which I never really truly got because West Brom were bottom on Christmas Day when they did survive the first team to do it in 2005. Yeah. But they were only ever five points off safety, so that's two wins and then you're sort of back in it really, aren't you? That's it. I mean, it is amazing what, when you're down that end of the table, what a few wins can do for you. Yeah, Brad I, mean, we, proved that. I think West Brom proved that season. Leicester under yeah. Pearson a few yeah, years ago true. proved that. Um, yeah, never give up. Is the message? Is the message? <laughs> West Ham in two thousand seven. I always think back to as being one of the biggest great escapes. Ten points behind City, oh, Man, uh, Man City at the time. Carlos yeah, Tevez yeah. digging them out of a hole. We've had Fulham yeah. with that win against Manchester City again. That three two. Uh, Danny Murphy like sort of running the show. And when it comes to sort of final days, I think it was Everton probably the the. First, really dramatic in the Premier League Great Escape, where they beat Wimbledon to climb above Ipswich, and that was like sort of dying minutes, and that was a real turning point for Everton because they had like they had three stands in Goodison Park at that point, and if they went down, arguably financially, they might never have yeah. recovered from that. And obviously, we've got perennial strugglers like strugglers like Coventry, nineteenth on the final day, so not quite West Brom levels there. Win at Spurs, which again. I'm not sure if Klinsman were there in 97. I think he might have left the season before, but still Spurs were a good team. Again, like yeah, yeah. Bradford beating Liverpool here. Yeah. And it was sort of a skin of the teeth job, wasn't it? Bradford and Wimbledon. Wimbledon folding a few years later, Bradford then going down yeah. the season after, finishing yeah. bottom. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a sad side of it, really, because Wimbledon obviously went down, never came back up and failed to exist not long after, really. And... When Bradford did go down the year after, it was a slippery slope for them. I think that they made a mistake of, I mean, you get away with it these days of getting good players in out of desperation and paying a lot of wages because if you go down, you're going to get parachute payments. Yeah. Whereas that could help Bradford out a lot. But they knew that we were getting themselves into when they were, you know, signing the likes of Carbone on massive wages. Collymore. That season and Collymore, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's that panic. Yeah, it's desperate panic, and they suffered for it big time. Just a wee comparison here between Bradford and Wimbledon. 2004 is when they both got relegated to League One, or rather, Wimbledon got renamed to MK Dons that season. Yeah, Bradford went down a place above them. They would then Bradford spend three years in League Two, a few more years in League. Uh, league one then league two bounced back up and then they've just come down to league two last season yeah and seem to be sort of like in and around the promotion area whilst now Wimbledon have been in league one for four years having obviously come up through the ranks renamed as AFC Wimbledon spent two years in the conference five years in league two they're currently in their fifth year in league one when the uh, when the season resumes in a month or so's time sort of like they're still intrinsically linked really because Wimbledon are sort yeah. of, they've finished 20th in the last two seasons, whereas Bradford have gone down a division, but they are, like you'd say, one of the top 10 teams in League Two. And with League Two being that much of a sort of look of the draw sort of thing, they could easily yeah, go yeah. automatic or not. 
I think the size of a club belongs in League One. And then, yeah, just having the sheer... I mean, this is, again, a lot of clubs at this level now have these... I mean, frankly, it's gone, but these owners who just shouldn't really be running football clubs. Wow. Um, we so see that recently lot, with Wigan. Exactly. So a loss of playoff final. Um, and that season, to be fair, Edin Rahic is called... Um, <laughs> did seem did seem all right. He seemed to be a passionate guy who had money invested well in the squad and seemed to trust Stuart McCall. But then the, mm. the season after, by February, it had all gone sour and McCall was sacked. Simon Grayson back. came in half the season. Um, Simon Grayson came in. Yeah. David Hopkin. Oh, sorry, Simon Grayson and Michael Collins, which was well, completely. That was just, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the moment where. Edin Rahic exposed himself as someone not knowing a lot about football and trying to kind of go for the left field coach type who just didn't have the experience or tactical mounts to really do much. Um, changed his mind then, went for David Hopkin, Gary Boyer, both good managers, both all right for that level, but just didn't happen. Um, and now happily... Rahic is gone. McCall, Stuart McCall's back. Well, Rafik Stuart McCall is the manager long term. I don't know, but he, he offers stability. So both Hopkin and McCall, obviously former players. Hopkin yeah. knows the area of him yeah, for Leeds as well. So. Hopkin brings it back to to the time of when Bradford were in the Prem, and then probably another one who was on a decent wage yeah. that kind of burdened the club after they got relegated. So. Yeah, Hopkin playing yeah. for Bradford 2000-2001 season where they'd finish bottom. So, to me, what is the what is the worst relegated team ever from the Premier League? I mean, we've had, obviously, it's like the points records. We've had Swindon as well conceding 100 goals in a season in yeah. 94. Sunderland broke the points bar- barrier twice. 15 points and 19 points within years of each other. Obviously, Derby. Winning one game and just having eleven points, which still boggles the mind. Really, when you see, they didn't have a yeah. great team. I mean, that's why I fear for teams like well, when Cardiff have ever come up, they've not really done much. Fulham, who've just gone up as we're speaking last night, we were rattling through their team. I don't, they were obviously not, it's not going to be eleven points, but like it could well be like quite a low. Aston yeah. Villa in twenty sixteen only had seventeen points. Huddersfield probably deserved to only get sixteen points when they got relegated last year, which seems a, a lifetime away, really. And it just proves that... For me, it's that, Derby who stands yeah, out. Yeah, I think it's Derby. And the team, just it did stink. I mean, them, them signing Robbie Savage in 2008 actually improved their team, so I think that says it all. Um, well, they still didn't that's make a no game. respect to Robbie Savage, really. <laughs> um, it's just, just true, isn't it? And I think Bradford... It is like the stereotypical great escape. You've got a big six-pointer in there against yeah. Wimbledon and then beating a big team on the last day and obviously hoping another result goes your way as well. So, Yeah, those three yeah. factors for me are probably the most important and Bradford did them all within like two weeks. So, I mean, it is yeah, up yeah. there even though it isn't. It's probably one of the less well-remembered great escapes and we're talking about the opening day of the 2006-07 Premier League season coming off the back of Jose Mourinho's dominance, winning two leagues in a row with Chelsea. They were favourites for a third title in a row, looking to emulate the likes of Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Huddersfield, you know, that good team in the 20s. But as we all know, they would come a cropper. And this, they didn't start their campaign 
their defence of a title on the Saturday, which we're going to be looking at now. Neither did Manchester United, they were both safe for Super Sunday. But the opening game, Sheffield United-Liverpool, 1-1 draw with a you know, dodgy penalty decision in there. Arsenal got a draw at, Aston, at home to Aston Villa in the first match at their new stadium. Everton won, Newcastle won. There's also wins for Portsmouth, Reading. Surprise package that year. West Ham and Bolton from two early goals. And probably the story is Manchester United returning to winning the league again. It was like the biggest lean period that Ferguson had had since the Premier League started. Mourinho's end, reign would end a couple of months into the following season with a uh, draw at home to Rosenborg in the Champions League four months after he got the FA Cup in the first FA Cup final at the new Wembley. And it's an outlier for Mourinho's third season syndrome, really. And would you say the modern criticism of Jose Mourinho is fair in the current climate? It's a tricky one, I think. Um, yeah, I think his last couple of jobs is hard to judge on. Man United, I think it's fair to say what he said in terms of getting them second with a big achievement because... yeah. It was just impossible for pretty much anybody. It just gets less impossible as the managers go on. I think they all sort of, I mean, Moisey didn't really help anyone. But I think Van Gaal and Mourinho definitely improved United for Solskjaer, hopefully whether it was going to be the next manager. And then Spurs as well. It's hard to be a good Spurs manager, it seems, because you've got Daniel Lever, who's incredibly shrewd and don't want to spend a lot of money but it's so hard in modern terms to turn a team around and keep a team fresh when that's a situation I mean it might it might just, I think for a few years now we will just be 8th ninth, 10th sort of in the league until they seem to find some diamonds in the rough from the youth academy or just some clever business. But I think as a coach, I think he is good. Do I think he's boring? Possibly. Do I think he just plays to his team's strengths? Definitely. So I think he's only boring if a player has got at his disposal a boring players, if you like. It's his playing style, isn't it, really? It's sort of like soak up, sort of soak up the opposition's attack and then hit him on the brick. I mean, he, he holds the record whilst at Chelsea for the best defensive record over a course of a 38 league season, 38 game yeah. league season with 15 goals in the uh, 2005 title win. And he's never really, obviously, Porto in the league, it's a much weaker league with only like three or four really good teams in it. England a lot different, Italy obviously, but he has won a serial winner in each of those leagues. So Real Madrid, I think of when he took over, when Barcelona were at their height of yeah. being the best team in the world beat them to La Liga with 100 points. So that's not really defensive, really, where he scored over 100 goals. Over the course of his two years at Chelsea, when he won the league, broke 90-point barriers. Inter Milan won a treble. So I, obviously the Man United situation and the Spurs situation, I think, are different in many respects. So it was going to take the better part of a decade to replace Sir Alex Ferguson. You could have thrown anybody in there, in my opinion. Exactly. It's like when Busby left. I mean, you had, he left in 1969. So you've got Wilf McGuinness, Franco Farrell, and only when Tommy Doherty got hold of them, got them re-promoted and then won on the FA Cup 
that they started to sort of like be that level again. Although obviously his reign got cut short for off the field activities. And for Tottenham, I think Daniel Levy will spend money as the um, obviously they've taken out a two hundred million pound loan to cover coronavirus costs. Yeah, and yeah. once that sort of the financial impact of that blows over, which it might not do for a long time, and it might be after Mourinho's time that they'll start to spend money again. But does Mourinho sell Kane to uh, <laughs> raise funds? I don't know, but he's definitely got a team there that can, and I think he will get into the Champions League next season given the form that they've had after the break. But it's a strong looking field for next season, especially with United coming back anyway. So sticking with United, they were about to enter a new sort of phase. They've got Cristiano Ronaldo, they've got Wayne Rooney now. They've both peaked, they're well reaching their peak. Two young hungry uh, centre forwards are about to sign, Tevez Berbatov. They've got Carrick, Ferdinand Vidic Evra, as we've spoken about on this podcast before. Win the, win the league back to back to back again and is this Manchester United side between 2007 and 2009 the greatest Premier League side of all time greatest Premier League side of all time I think yeah. it's yeah probably is I think you look at it it's a quality player in every position and there's not really anyone Deadwood sort of situation I mean if you're including Larson in that as well if he counts Obviously, yeah. just give them a little bit of extra. Uh, yeah, some of the, the sort of players who weren't necessarily the first team who were fringe players at the time. You know, you look at Darren Fletcher. I think any top team now would want to form Darren Fletcher for all the stick that he got. He's probably one of the most underrated midfielders Premier League's ever seen. Um, and certainly after this season, he definitely came into it. But yeah, I mean... Chelsea versus United, obviously, you look at what both clubs did over the summer going into 06 07. You know, Chelsea get the likes of Balak, Kalou, and all United do is get Michael Carrick. So on paper, no one's really going into that season thinking anything's going to change, like you say. But it's just that coming of age of Ronaldo and Rooney. And obviously, in, in the summer, they'd had that falling out at the World Cup. Everyone was like, oh, is it even going to work? Is one of them going to leave, sort of thing. But they ended up being one of the best partnerships yeah. in Premier League history. And it really started in that season, didn't it? So, Well, proved itself on the opening weekend of the season when Ronaldo yeah. and Rooney both assisted for each other and were seen smiling yeah, yeah. and hugging in that. In exactly. terms of strength of depth, it's probably second to only Man City currently. I mean, yeah. at the time of recording, they've just gone out and signed Ferran Torres for like half the price of this sold Leroy Sané. So it's just like one in, one out easily done yeah yeah um they've got two players in every position it seems apart from probably left back man city at the moment man united probably less so in this period in terms of team probably better than the treble team but you then got to factor in points tallies never seem to rival chelsea's in the immediate mm. you know seasons before this and then obviously manchester city and liverpool 198 99 points have won the premier league with so but a team has never won the Champions League alongside the Premier League in the Premier League history. So that, for me, that factors into it quite a lot. I mean, a lot of Tia Tuesday videos that I do, I do take that into account as well because it's Leicester winning the Premier League with no European, with no European, no real cup to like sort of mm. distract them. It is a big difference. Yeah, yeah. United yeah, have won definitely. the Champions League with the Premier League twice. Man City probably are better, but in terms of a 
And 11, I'd still say this United. I mean, you know, we're going to get people saying Liverpool, let's be honest. But yeah. I just think Liverpool need to carry on doing it. I mean, you had players in that team who had won the league four or five times. You know, we're in class of 92, we were still there. And still yeah. starting to have a lot of games. Gary Neville started 24 games that season. Gigs. Yeah. I mean, Gigs. For in, to be named the best team, I think you do have to return it. So that's why yeah. I think for me, Chelsea under Mourinho, United, both here and the treble, City with the 198 points. So if Liverpool can do it again, I'd welcome them in. Obviously, you've got shocks like Leicester and Blackburn, but. And speaking of Leicester and Blackburn, we're in the era of the top four. Who is the best of the rest in terms of 2000? So between 2003 and 2009, the big four was sort of cemented. You had one year when Everton got into fourth, but that's only because Liverpool won the Champions League that season. Yeah. So Arsenal and United were like the two big teams going into the millennium. Chelsea got a foothold with their big spending. Liverpool were always there or thereabouts, big European pedigree as well. You sort of had these teams that sort of seemed to, you know, like Blackburn, Bolton had a crack at it for a bit. Newcastle sort of fell away by 2003, really. Everton always seemed to be there. City, Villa, City, obviously, when they just got their money. So, who is the best of the rest <laughs> at this time? In- so, we're saying the best on the team to not get into the top four. I mean, between in, this time. in the 2000s, let's say in the 2000s. I am tend to say Villa. I think that late note is Martin O'Neill Villa team. That were a good team. Quality, won it. Um, Everton as well under Moyes. You know, Spurs. you said it, but yeah. So I would, I would probably say Everton for consistency of being there. Yeah. So Everton just a well. I mean, Spurs. They had that. They bottled it on the final day with that lasagna gate in two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. Came again. I mean, they were the team to break into the top four in 2011. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So perhaps they are. And but then again, Spurs got into the Champions League in 2011. City didn't in that game where I think Peter Crouch scored the goal at the Etihad. Another six pointer, like we were talking about earlier. But then City then climbed above them, and then they've just got onto a, a completely different level, winning a couple of leagues. So maybe it's. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, but it is like sort of coming to it a bit late, don't they? To be sort of recognised, yeah, really. Yeah. But for me, I'd say probably between Spurs and Everton. I mean, Everton probably give it a better go, and at least got a Champions League qualifier out of it, even if they did lose to Villarreal. Villarreal, yeah. so yeah. So before we leave the comfortable inertia of the footballing world, we've got time for a two thousand trivial teaser. So last week, our player was an attacker. He was born on the 12th of August, 1983. He was managed by Juan de Ramos and Roberto Di Matteo. He'd played with David Beckham, Raul, Jason Park, Mathis DeLitt, Manuel Neuer. And you didn't have the foggiest clue and it was Clash John Huntelaar. I'm upset with that because <laughs> I actually really liked Huntelaar. Probably just stood- because of how many times we've linked to United and then you kind of mm. ended up liking him. So he played with Neuer at Schalke. Played with Mathis Delit yep. at Ajax, Jason Park yep. uh, with PSV, Beckham and Raul at Real Madrid, obviously then played with Raul at Schalke yep. as well. So the teaser this week, also born on the 12th of August, but born on 12th of August, 1977. He's a winger, 
He's been managed by Jose Mourinho and Steve Bruce. And some of his teammates, I've got five of them for you. Juan Sebastian Verón, Damien Duff, <laughs> David Dunn, Diego Simeone and Christian Eriksen. So a large dearth of uh, players there from right from the 90s in Duff and Verón right through to current playmakers like Christian Eriksen. Yeah. So who do you think? Um, Could you hazard a guess at that? I almost forgot it when I looked at my notes again this morning. <laughs> so I appreciate it might be the hardest one I've done so far. You almost. What position is it? A winger. That's t- yeah, that is tough. Kind of gonna, I'm going to ignore Simeone and Eriksen. Just, I think they're kind of red herrings. He has played in the Premier Mourinho. League. I'll, yeah, I'll give you that one. He's played in the Premier League. For Mourinho, how not? I'm not going to give you too many clues, man. You might get it <laughs> like a couple of weeks ago. And Steve Bruce, I always go straight to... Burnley. Well, you never know what club to... Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, he won't uh, still be playing. What were you going to say there? I was going to say on Newcastle, but he's no chance he's playing. He's 40, 43. <laughs> so you've no, got... I, who, I, who did Bruce manage? Wigan as well. Manage Wigan. Yeah, I was going to say Wigan. I was going to go straight to Wigan, but... Who knows? David Dunn. Blackburn. Famously. Mm. Damien Duff Blackburn famously as well. There's a few red errands in there, so... <laughs> If you think you know the answer, I can tell you now, no, Martin Gamps Pedersen hasn't played with Veron, Simeone or Eriksen. And I don't think he's played with Damien Duff either, but let's uh, leave that for next week. If you think you know the answer, please leave it in the comments section and the answer will be revealed next episode at the same time. So before we finish, have you got any other business for us? And the previous guys of FFB football films and bollocks. Um, Yeah. Within that, we had our away days of football. So being a football podcast, why don't we rank our favourite away days? So we generally go for northern-ish towns, so we're not too far away from where we are. Yeah, so Um, we can get the train back. But not not necessarily Premier League or even Championship football. So for well, me, the one that sticks out is Atkinson Stanley. I just want to say a shout out to Atkinson Stanley and the Wham Stadium. <laughs> so we've been to, as um, the three of us, because we are joined on these away days by our good friend Harry Holland, we've been to Accrington, Barnsley, York, Blackburn, and there's no fifth one yet, has there? Accrington, Barnsley, no, Blackburn, so and York. Do Preston. So, I don't even know well, what happened. So, yeah. Preston wouldn't give us tickets because we weren't members. So, because <laughs> it was a big game, it was the final game of the season. So, in terms of what we what we're ranking this on, are we ranking it on the quality of the game, the quality of the teams, the entire day out, the um, boozers, obviously, which for an away day, three lads in their twenties, I think that's a big. I think they all matter, but it's got to be like a good game, good boozers, good day. And... Yeah, just generally a good day out of good people in the town that we go to. So, let's... so me saying Accrington generally doesn't feed into <laughs> many of them. <laughs> that sounds really harsh. No, Accrington is a well, soulful city, let's put it there. In terms of the games, none of them have been good. We've had 
Accrington versus Charlton, which was a one-all draw. We've had Barnsley versus Bristol Rovers, which has been a 1-0 win for Barnsley. Likewise, Blackburn against Middlesbrough at the start of last season. And we ended the season before that, going down, dropping all the way down to National League North. 1-0 between York City yeah. and AFC Telford. So in terms of games, they were all shocking. Accrington probably pips it for me in terms of that. So Accrington's probably been the, be- been the best away day in terms of games. Pubs, York is a great pub town, isn't it? I mean, Barnsley is yeah, as well. Yeah. So for me, York probably, probably Barnsley and York. Drinking. Depends what you like from drinking, I guess. Mm. This could be, we could do a whole pod on that. But <laughs> do you like, I mean, Barnsley had some great little boozers too. It did. All number after, seven. All number seven. And Barnsley, <laughs> Annie Mary's Irish pub and the Spoons, uh, which, I mean, most of them are crazy, but that's a crazy one in Barnsley in terms of layout. Yeah, yeah. Five different rooms. You don't, really, you don't really feel like you're going to leave and you feel like you're entering WrestleMania when you go into <laughs> the massive ramp. It's, I think York probably edges it for me in terms of pubs. Um, Blackburn, it was sort of too spread out for us to sort of get into a good rhythm of it Like whilst we were there. Yeah, the game, yeah. The yeah, game was so. dreadful. I mean, in terms of facilities yeah, as well. Blackburn like, was a rubbish. Blackburn was an awful game. Facilities so at the game is a good one. But yeah, Blackburn was so we went to Mill Hill, which is like an area yeah. which leads down to Ewood Park, which to be fair works quite well, but obviously not in the city centre. But the boozers there were pretty good. Yeah, the game right. at Ewood was the worst. Was probably <laughs> the worst of all the away days on a par with York, maybe at yeah, the bottom. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you can get two pints in one cup, which don't yeah, do that. But yeah, sounds... <laughs> which makes up for it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, just stand on the concourse drinking two pints out of one cup. Whereas, whereas York, there's no drinking facilities alcohol wise at all. That's true. The toilets are practically practically in someone's back garden for the stand that we sat in anyway, or stood in, and I know we sat in it. And yeah, it was. Hmm. It's one of the re- it's one of the weird niches of English football which we've not caught up on with the rest of Europe. Which you can't serve alcohol in view of a football mm. game. Well, I think it's so basically it's, if was, if that's why you always drink on concourse on the outer yeah. side of the pitch. Whereas York, all the kiosks face the pitch. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you had when you went to use um, the facilities, as Jake says, you needed to go like half a mile walk into some weird shed to relieve yourself. So yeah, and it was moving a shed. out. They're moving out of there. So rest in peace, Boogum Crescent. Yeah, we'll never see you again. If you've got any good away day suggestions from places that are fairly easy to get from. From Link. either Leeds ish yeah. or Halifax or Huddersfield stations. Drop them, drop them below. Well, our catchment area is probably. Yeah, yeah. Humberside, Yorkshire, Lancashire, Lincolnshire at a push, top of Derbyshire at a push. But probably as we sort of run out of clubs, we'll have to expand to like maybe Carlisle, the northeast, Nottinghamshire, Midlands, yeah. more. Happy to go up. There's Borough, obviously, Sunderland. Scotland. Preston's on the list in it, which Preston's well on the list. Blackpool as well. Um, so if you're from Preston, let us know the good pubs. Recommendations. 
That's all we've got time for this week on the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. And next week for you, we've got the 2005 UEFA Super Cup final between Liverpool and CSKA. Moscow will have a look at Liverpool from that sort of time period. And what are you going to cover for next week? I'm going to look at England not qualifying for the Euro 2008. Another sickener. And we'll be finding out the answer to the Mourinho slash Diego Simeone teaser. We've got a new teaser for you. Oh, we've got some more musings from Alex as well. Coming elsewhere upon the channel in the next week or so, tomorrow's throwback will be looking at the 1994-95 Premier League season. Blackburn winning there. Monday's What If video ponders what would have happened if Luis Suarez didn't bite Branislav Ivanovic in 2013. Tuesday's tier list is a ranking of the goalkeepers of the 2010s. We've got a new 2010 series on Tuesdays there. I'm at What If underscore YouTube or Jake Doyle 93 Your Alex J. Rhodes on Twitter abuses, complimenters, tell us how nice our shirts look. Um, but yeah, until then, bye. <laughs>